0: All right. Good evening, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to James chapter 3, that's where we'll be tonight. James 3. And we'll pray and we'll get started here. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight and the worship we've had and the kids being taken care of in the back. We pray that your Holy Spirit would have your way in this service and with the every classroom back there. uh, We pray that everything we do here would glorify you. So Lord, uh, as Aaron already prayed, speak to our hearts by your word. Thank you for James and his heart in this chapter to teach us how to know what's from you and what's not from you as far as wisdom goes and help us to learn that because that's what we want. We want to live for you. We want to walk with you. We want to do your will and um, we want to hear from you. So um, we thank you for this chapter in Jesus name. Amen. It is a wonderful chapter. He talks a lot about our our tongues. <laughs> that's, the, that's the biggest problem in every church in the world, is our mouths. <laughs> that's what gets us to fight, and that's what can bless other people, but it can also do a lot of damage. And James is just like a good brother, like we've said in the past, grabbing us by the cheeks, saying, we're not doing this, you know you should know better. It's not acceptable. It's not okay. You hear that a lot in, in Christianity. In fact, we've got bumper stickers that say it. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. Maybe so. But in that imperfection, you do a lot of damage and it's not okay. And, and I don't expect this to be perfect, but that should at least be our aim. And especially with our mouth, especially with our tongue. Because although we may not be perfect, we sure left a, a wake of destruction with our mouths behind us that needs to be handled and taken care of. In verse one of chapter three, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. He throws himself in there. Thank goodness. You know, he knows he's a teacher. He knows he's writing a a letter that everybody's going to read. He says, it's a hard thing to be a teacher because you're going to have a stricter judgment. I don't know exactly what that means, except I've got a few verses. Maybe we can come across here or go over Luke 12 verse 48, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few for everyone to whom much is given from him much will be required and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Um, The teaching position is a position of authority. It's a position of prominence. I mean, here I stand in front, you know, lights on me, camera on me, recording my voice. And that can be desirable for people with ambition. And it's a dangerous thing. James is warning that ambition inside of our hearts, be careful. It needs to be a calling. It's not that there shouldn't be teachers. It's not that there shouldn't be a position like this, but be careful that you're called by God to do it and not just something that you desire in your heart to do because you like the place. I'm telling you, pull me aside sometime and I can talk to you about what you don't see from this position. Um, It is something you have to be called to if you're going to maintain the course and stay true to God's word. Um, If it's from ambition, you'll find yourself moving easily from it because If you went for the limelight, it's because you want people to be pleased and you want people to like you and you want that position in their hearts, which we're never to take. That's only a place for Jesus. And when they find that they're looking at you funny and they don't like you anymore, they talk to you funny, you want to make that right so you can regain that position in their lives. And you begin to compromise in areas and reject what you're called to do or what you're supposed to be doing in this calling to be a people pleaser. And that's not good for them and it's not good for the gospel or for the kingdom. Now, it's a dangerous thing. It needs to be something that's appointed by God, not self-appointed is the first section of this first verse. Self-appointed is a dangerous thing. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 12 tells us where the position comes from. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The position of leadership is given by God. It's an anointing that takes place, and that's from Genesis to Revelation. It never, ever changes. Um, In fact, when the king of Israel was to be chosen, the prophet came to the house of Jesse, and with his own eyes saw that well, certainly it's Eli, you know, Eliahim or whatever his name is, the tall one. <laughs> it's got to be him. And God says, I have not chosen him. In fact, the one I'd chosen is David, the one that they didn't even bother to bring in from the fields. In fact, he's doing the chores so that you can pick one of the others. It's an anointing that comes from God and not from anybody else, including ourselves. And so we have that in Ephesians 4. He, Jesus, gave some to be these positions for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. When someone takes the position on themselves, and there are many that have, and we're going to discuss that in the very next verse here, next cross-reference, such damage is done. Great damage. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that we hear about these other teachers. Beginning in verse 1, Preach the word, Timothy, is the idea. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. These are the ones that aren't called by God. These are the ones that have compromised and aren't teaching the truth. They'll heap up for themselves those teachers. There will be an abundance of those folks to choose from. And you can see that on YouTube, and you can see that on TV, every place else. You've got the health and wealth guys. That appeals to a certain group. And then you've got this, that, and the other thing. They will turn their, way, turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Timothy, you're going to have competition. But don't you compromise. They may go, but don't you change what you're teaching to keep them. Let them go. It's a hard thing. Um, There is, I think, two sides of this, and I think we need to find the middle is what I'm getting at. Some will do whatever it takes to keep a crowd, and some will do whatever it takes to get rid of everybody. And I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but some will say nobody comes to our church because we just preach the truth. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. I don't think so though. Nor do I think you should teach anything and everything to keep everybody, because that doesn't work either. You're gonna make somebody mad no matter what you do. There needs to be that middle because when Jesus taught the word, there were people offended, but there were other there was fruit from it. It is a dividing situation. Make I, I believe that with all my heart. I believe that some will not endure sound doctrine. And some are searching and dying for it, though. So there should be a balance. So there should be that middle. Yeah, some that are looking for a a watered-down, uh, lesser gospel, a lesser truth, lesser scriptures, more of a TED talk <laughs> than actually a teaching of the Word of God, they're going to find their place. And there are plenty of teachers that will fulfill that need. And then there are the others that just beat the sheep until they're bloodied and bruised and they can't stand anymore and think they've done what they've been called to do. Make sure that, you know, beat them, bust them kind of thing. No, Jesus is our example in everything. And although many of his disciples left and many of them couldn't understand the hard truths, there were many people that were touched and changed Pharisees that came to know the Lord, centurions of all people, Roman centurions believing on Jesus for salvation at his burial. A couple guys you didn't expect to be at his burial, you know. There's always fruit from God's word, there always should be. So here's what we're looking for as James tells us not to. Try anyway. There's nothing you can do about it if you're called, but don't try. Called by God looks like this: First Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty-five through twenty-seven. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see, your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. That's an essential scripture for everybody that wants to be in ministry to understand. You know why you're called to this, then, don't you? Because everybody's going to look at you and say, It must be God, because it certainly didn't come from Him or her. They're foolish, they're weak. They're lame. (laughs) They're nobody. They're C-minus students at best. And yet, God, I heard God's voice. I heard the word of God taught in such a way that it pierced my heart and changed my life. That must be the Lord. God wants credit. He wants glory. He wants a relationship with the person, not through the vessel, but straight to him. And so he's got to make sure that whatever vessel he chooses, it's definitely earthen. Definitely nothing to, you know, write home about, basically. It's what's inside that matters. Not many wise are called. Some, maybe, but not many wise. We need to be careful as teachers, all teachers. I'm worried about people that are fast and loose with the Word of God. That's a telltale sign for me. As I I look for churches for my kids as they move away, you know, because they can't certainly find one for themselves. They need their dad to do it. (laughs) I search and I listen and I watch. I'm like, oh, and I get so excited. And then he says something stupid. Oh, next. And I go to the next one. (laughs) When they're fast and loose with the passages and scriptures, I don't need to look at too many YouTube videos of them because they're going to mess up. They're cavalier about the word of God. It's a very dangerous thing. I like guys that are careful. I'd rather you be slow and boring and reading and do you understand what I said okay and move on that I can trust because that person's (laughs) humble and they know what they're handling this is nuclear warfare right here this is spiritual nuclear warfare you better know what you've got in your hands but when you're fast and loose with it that's a that's reckless verse 2 For we all stumble in many things, James admits. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. A lot there. Wonderful. I like that he says we all stumble in many things. I think that's more of that I'm not perfect, but James still calls himself on it. It's not okay to be not perfect. It's, it's sin. I need to get better at this. Improvement is, is almost required for Christians. You ought to be moving forward with the Lord, not backwards. We all stumble in many things, he says, and especially with our words. That's the hard thing. Saying the wrong thing. Now, I've been bit by that scripture before. I don't know if anybody else has. To the point where I'm like, yeah, I'm just be quiet. i gonna say a word. Move mm. my head. I'm my head. And that's all I'm gonna do. You know, that. And then I don't get anybody in trouble, and I don't get myself in trouble. I can't do that either. What good does it do if you got a bet? I'm looking at you, Sherry, and you hunters, all you folks with the horses. No, with the horses. What good does it do if you've got a bad behaving horse to put them in the barn and shut the door? Is it going to improve? Absolutely not. What do you got to do, Sherry? You got to work with it. That's so true. The first people I thought of when this came up, I'm like, you got to put the bridle in and you got to get on that horse and you've got to make it do what you want it to do. Our tongue is no different Me being quiet doesn't do a bit of good because everything's still in my heart. It just hasn't come out of this hole yet. we got to bridle it. Likewise with the ship. Doesn't do any good to keep it in dry dock. It needs to go someplace. It needs to do something. The ship's designed to sail, to move. And although it's just a little thing, that rudder's vital... Here's the thing. What's important is who's riding and who's controlling the reins and who is steering the ship. That's the key. If I am, mm-hmm. you can plan on me running aground? I'll drive it right into the dirt, that boat. But if God's steering, much better. First John chapter one, verses eight through ten. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Everybody falls short, even after we're saved. I think that's a struggle we all have. And again, I don't want to glorify or, um, I guess that's the right word, not being perfect, because it's nothing to glory in. But you do need to move forward. It cannot paralyze you. He he is faithful to forgive. When we sin, he's faithful to forgive us of our sins so that we can move forward. So you said the wrong thing. Say the right thing. And the first thing you need to say after you say the wrong thing is, will you forgive me? Out loud. To the person. I'm sorry. I blew my top. I said the wrong thing. I shouldn't have said that. Will you forgive me, you know? Get right. Um, In Luke chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. Okay, here is... The Holy Spirit guiding the ship. Listen to the last verse. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Does he have that kind of control? He needs to have that kind of control. The Holy Spirit in us. And let me step away from the text for a little bit because this comes up a lot. I I hear it myself when I'm teaching. I don't want you to leave thinking, okay, yeah, okay, now I got the fruit of the Spirit, joy. I got to have more joy. You know, long-suffering. I really need to work on that long-suffering. It is built into us to hear things like that and make a list of things to do. But we need to listen to the Scripture carefully. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life is those things. You can't produce those things on your own. No matter how hard you try, you cannot bring peace into your heart. You cannot just be joyful. It's the work of the Holy Spirit coming out of you. And every born-again believer, whether you know it or not, is filled with the Holy Spirit. You have that ceiling. You have the Holy Spirit in you. The difference is, and what you're working on now, if you're going to work on anything, is just letting Him. He's a very good leader, and he's he has—he's a very strong leader, but he's very much a gentleman. I will lead you if you'll let me lead you, if you'll follow me. I will speak. I will give you the words. I will if you let me. But if you won't, have at it. Your mouth is yours. I'm not going to, uh, you know, uh, ventriloquist you and make you say what I want you to say. But if you let me, I'll give it to you. If you let control be given to me, I'll let you. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that needs to be in charge of our tongues. And we'll learn how that happens too. This is important for us. Because at the end of a Bible study, we should feel closer to God, not further away. Because these things can sound condemning if we don't have a solution and we don't have the answer and it isn't clear to us. So I want to be clear tonight. Now he moves on in verse 6. I mean, I cut verse 5 and a half. So the second part of verse 5 is this. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? Doesn't take much, right? Forest, when I was in California, forest fires all the time. They still have them, but I just hear about them on the news when I was there, you reap the benefits. You go down the canyon road, down to, well, where where we go? Laguna Beach or something. There's a canyon you used to have to go down. I think they've got a good, better way down now. But my goodness, that place would be just filled with smoke. Driving through it, you know, you turn your wit because you're stupid. You, you, no, that doesn't do it. Smoke, you know, that doesn't help. And you just, ah, you just got to go slow all the way down the canyon to get there. And you could smell it, and it just got annoying, you know. That it was everywhere. And then you, yeah, you know, who did that? Well, some guy. We found the cigarette butt, you know. You're kidding me a cigarette butt, and $5 billion worth of property damage was done from that stupid five-cent cigarette back in the day. It's probably, I don't know what that cost now. You know, <laughs> don't give me the prices. I <laughs> said I don't want to know these things. <laughs> it's like seven bucks with tax. It's horrible. Okay, let's keep that to yourself. Just something simple like that. Just a little dumb act. Didn't want it in your ashtray or something, threw it out, and there it went. Our tongues can do that. It just doesn't take much. You can even say the right thing with the wrong heart. And it's enough. Because they know it. You said the right thing. It's not what you meant. And it breaks a heart. Boy, especially our kids. Oh, they're so in tune. I wish they kind of just ignore me. Most of the time. Or just kind of say, what would you say, Dad? Yeah, whatever, Dad. I wish I had that kind of team. Not someone who looks into your eyes going, Daddy, you know, kind of thing. What? Oh, I'm sorry I bothered you. Oh, great, I crushed her spirit. Okay. Just a little bit of fire starts a whole forest. Things things that you've worked years at. I mean, you think about redwoods and you think about sequoias and you think about these, these ancient forests, you know. Anna moved down to the southeastern south uh, portion of Missouri, and they've got the Mark Twain National Forest there, and I've driven through it, not by choice. I accidentally got on a detour, and that is not a detour you want to go through. I mean, oh, just like this. took you 17 hours to go 30 minutes, you know, through this forest. But if you got the time, drive through it. Amazing. An ancient forest is just something that's just rare, you know. But all it takes is someone in a cigarette butt to undo hundreds of years of growth. you think about that, before we speak to somebody's heart, a soul, a spirit, your child, your spouse, a friend, an enemy even, what I'm about to say is either going to bring life to that person, or I'm going to light a fire and undo so much. Careful. We have to be careful. Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Makes you want to stop talking, doesn't it? You know? I think the key is here, no man can tame it. Nobody can tame their tongue. You can grin and bear it for a real long time, depending on how strong your gut is, you know. You can grin and bear it. You can put up with a lot. You can say the right things. You can mask. But eventually, and the longer you wait, (laughs) the more it's going to happen the bigger the explosion that's going to take place. Now, here's, here's the answer. In case we all wanted to just clam up and drive home silently and say, I'm not going to hurt your feelings tonight, honey. You know, well, by being quiet, you've already hurt their feelings, just so you know, they want to talk. Proverbs 10:19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. He's not calling us to silence. He's just saying, You know, just know when to shut up. And I know you're not supposed to say that at church, but know when to be quiet. Know when to stop. A little bit is plenty. Fewer words, you know. Just restrain. Later on, next week, James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. In other words, if I know I'm supposed to say something, I can't fall back on that Proverbs 10 and say, I'm not saying a word. No. Again, we can't put the horse in the stable and we don't don't put the ship in dry dock and we don't never ever light fires because sometimes they're okay. We just have to be wise when we do all that and let the Holy Spirit lead the ship and drive the horse and tell us when to start the fire. Those are... Those are vital. In fact, when the Holy Spirit in chapter 2 of Acts falls upon the disciples in the upper room, what, what was it in the form of? A flame. There's a fire. And when Peter comes out of that upper room, they're all speaking in tongues, speaking the glories of God in other languages so that everybody in Jerusalem from all over the world speaking their own native tongue can hear the glories of God in their own language. Peter gives the best sermon he's ever given by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter's given some other sermons in the past that he shouldn't have. And when he's not under the unction of the Holy Spirit, that beautiful flame of fire, it's disastrous for him. But when he's under the power of the Holy Spirit, there's fruit. That's the difference. That's the difference. Verse 9. With it, the tongue, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men. Who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. That's him pulling us close and saying, Mm-mm, it's not okay. Stop saying you're not perfect, start controlling your tongue. Give that over to the Holy Spirit in your life. Let him do that work in you. Be aware of it before you speak. It's not okay to me to speak out of, a, out of my own heart, out of my own brain. When I'm about to share something, it needs to be, And I need to pray, is this of you, God? Should I share this? Should I speak this? Very important. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Our mouth should not have both coming out of it. That doesn't mean it isn't going to happen, but it means when it does happen, we need to recognize what that was. It was my flesh. That was not the Spirit. You can't love God and hate people. You can't. 1 John tells us that. You cannot love God and hate people. The, The way we love God, John tells us, is by loving people. It's the only way. When you hate people made in the image of God, he doesn't tolerate that. That isn't an acceptable thing. Even if it's for righteousness sake, which is where it comes from most of the time. As a Christian who says, you know, I just hate that or hate them. I hate this or the other thing. We say it. Because we think we're holy and they're just not. We need to be careful. That's a soul that's still breathing that still can go to heaven. We're in an age of grace right now. We're not in an age of wrath. We're not in an age of judgment. We're in the age of grace right now. Now judgment's coming. Wrath is coming, but that's not time for that yet. Right now is the time to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that they can have. Guys, Remember what you were before you were saved. I think you do. But our mouths probably did nothing but hurt, self-exalt, you know. I bet it never, hardly ever anyway, gave glory to God. Maybe on Christmas Eve if your mom and dad drug you to church or something. So, everybody we meet that's not a born again believer, we shouldn't expect them to be using their mouths correctly. Nor should we have that koinonia or fellowship that we have with brothers and sisters. We can't have that with worldly people. That's just a good identifier for us. My ministry changes from building up my brother, sharpening my brother as iron sharpens iron, versus a worldly person. Well, I'm not here to sharpen them up, I'm here to. They need to get saved. First things first. I can't have fresh water coming out of my mouth and bitter water. Faith is active and about the father's business. That's what James is trying to get at. You can't just keep your mouth shut, but you do need to speak. But when you do speak, you speak life and you need to be about your father's business. And Jesus is our example for that. He was always about his father's business. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, at the age of 12, Jesus said to his parents, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Of course I was in the temple. Why was that the last place you looked? That's the idea. I don't know if Mary and Joseph just got used to him and maybe 12 years later, after that awesome time with the shepherds and everything, just kind of forgot who he was. I mean, he probably wasn't setting the table with the blink of his eye and things like that. And, you know, every time Mary got water, there was wine. Oh, Jesus, turn it back to water. We're not having wine. You know, none of that was going on. Maybe they just, I don't know. Because they scold him when they find him. Didn't you know we were worried about you, you know? <laughs> Imagine after that conversation. Oh, sorry I yelled at you, God, come in the flesh, you know? Oops. <laughs> It was a teachable moment for Jesus at the age of 12 for his parents who should have known better. Don't you know that I'm supposed to be about my father's business? So guys, we're supposed to be about our father's business. 1 John chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 speaks about loving our brothers. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, verse 13. This is where we see the filter. This is where James gets to, how do I know I'm hearing what the Holy Spirit's, if I'm supposed to be led by the Spirit and he's in me and he's speaking to me, how do I know it's him versus me? Imitating him, trying to get my way, you know? Well, I prayed about it and I really feel like the Lord. This is our litmus test to who did you hear? Your own voice or God's? Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Do I have ambition? And I don't want that to be confused with a good work ethic. Those are two separate things. Ambition glorifies yourself. Ambition advertises yourself. Ambition exalts yourself. Do I have ambition? And what I'm about to do or what I've prayed about to God, is that from ambition? Do I have bitter envy towards other people? Do I want what they have? Do I want to rise above them? Go further than them? If it's spiritual, by all means, we should spur one another on to good works. Sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron. But when it comes to this world, we have to be careful about ambition. And in ministry, which can become worldly, that ambition is going to hurt us. Self-seeking in your hearts and bitter envy don't lie or boast against the truth. The truth is that's demonic wisdom, he calls it here. Verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. That's a hard thing to say to somebody, your ambition is demonic. Demonic. I don't don't mean to be demonic. I mean, demonic. I mean, there's no horns and, you know, tails and, you know, that's kind of extreme. Let me read to you from Isaiah 14 as it describes Lucifer's heart, Satan's heart, the devil's heart. If you didn't know Lucifer, Satan, Lucifer is his original name given by God. He was an angel of the highest class, equal to Michael and Gabriel, as far as we can understand from Scripture. This is before the fall. That's why we believe that he was able to lead a third of the angels with him. He was in charge of a third, he was one of their leaders. Here's what was discovered in Lucifer while serving the king of the universe. Verse 12, chapter 14 of Isaiah How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Ambition. Self-seeking. Bitter envy. That's why he says when we see that show up in our hearts down here, us puny little people, And that starts to seed in our hearts. That's demonic. That's the same thing that caused Lucifer to fall. Get rid of it quickly, quickly, quickly. It's not something to mess around with. Here's his end. We don't want to read about that without reading the rest of it. Verse 15. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? We get the idea from the world that Satan's kind of, in, oh, Bud Light mainly tells us that Jesus, or, you know, Satan's in charge of hell down there. That's where the partying is. Uh-uh. No, he's burning forever there. He's not in charge of it. It's not his realm. It's God's place for him. And the only reason people go there is because they have that in their heart and they follow him there. We were never meant for that place and that place was never meant for us. Heaven was built for us. We're supposed to follow our father in heaven. The only reason people don't go to heaven is because they choose to follow him and to do his will, Satan's will, instead of God's. Being led of the spirit, And not being led of the demonic. Verse 17, back in James. But the wisdom that is from above. So here's our distinction sensual, demonic, worldly, envy. Here's wisdom that's from above. It's first, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. Willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's the difference. When I pray and ask God, I'll have peace in my heart over it. That's one of the things we talk about in marriage counseling or premarital counseling or marriage counseling. Make sure you're both kind of in agreement on these things. And if you're not, that's a red flag. If you don't have peace about something, both of you, Remember, you're one flesh and God brought you together because men, it's not good that you're alone. And women, you need your husband. You need your man. And when you both are praying about something and there isn't peace, it may be that one person isn't hearing from God and they need to pray a little bit harder. That's true. But wait until you both have a peace about it. Because if you say, I don't think you're praying enough, I don't think you're following God, and you walk off, that's not going to be good. You may be right and you may do what God's called you to do, but now you got a whole nother issue going on. You made a bigger problem. Wait. There should be peace in your heart. It should be full of mercy, willing to yield, gentle, peaceable. It's the exact opposite of the world, isn't it? The exact opposite. That's how we know the wisdom's from above because that's who God is. He's pure. He's peaceable. He's gentle. He's willing to yield. That's our frustration with him most of the time. You know, God, just do what you want to do with me. Quit giving me the choice. No. Nope, I made you whole, I made you in my image. You have a choice full of mercy, full of good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's our last verse. And I have a few cross-references, and then we'll close here. Galatians 5, through 23 is the fruit of the Spirit. Again, this is not a list that you need to check off and work on tomorrow. It is something you recognize, though. If I don't have this fruit... It's because I'm not yielding to the Holy Spirit in my life. That's, what you, that's the work that needs to be done. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. That's what can be coming out of me. That's what I should be producing as a tree that's in God's garden, you know, a good tree. Proverbs 18:21: "Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit." Just a very short version of chapter three. <laughs> I can either bring blessing or cursing to my kids, and to my family, to my loved ones, to my enemies. I'm either going to bring life or death with what I'm about to say. So say it carefully. Luke chapter six, verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is the key tonight. Everybody's convicted. Everybody knows they just need to be quiet, but we got to open our mouths, but we don't know what to say and we don't know how it's going to go. And I don't know if I even can do this. Let's just skip to chapter four. Here's the key a good man out of the good heart, your heart speaks. You can't produce these things because whatever comes out of my mouth is in my heart. That's the problem. When we talk about God working from the inside out versus religion that works from the outside in, I become better so that I'm more acceptable to God. Christianity is completely different. I'm a born-again believer who... In Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart, of, a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's something you can't do and I can't do. That's something we can't do. We can't tame the tongue. I can't change my heart. I can't give myself a new mind, but Christ can. And when that heart transplant takes place from My heart to Christ's heart, my mouth follows. Because Christ's heart is to say the right thing every time. His heart is always for people. Always seeing the lost, the hopeless, wanting to bring them the gospel, the good news, that they can be saved and changed, and that they can get a heart transplant too. That's our key. Being led by the Holy Spirit. And the last thing I'm going to say tonight, and we'll pray. I get that a lot. And this is probably not a perfect analogy, so give me grace, but it's like a sailboat. You just, you put the sails out. That's your job. That's what I do. I run up the sails. It's the wind. It's the Holy Spirit that moves me from that point forward. And I know that's probably not a perfect analogy, but that's the best I can do. What's my role? What's my job as being a Christian, a follower of Christ, someone who's led by the Spirit? Put your sails up. Be open to letting the wind of the Holy Spirit, whom we're describing in John chapter 3. It's like a wind. You don't know which way it's going. You put the sails up and you let the Holy Spirit move you. And then you let the, also the Holy Spirit rudder you, you know. Let him be in charge. Let, let, let. That's the key. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the time we've had in your word. I, I think we feel encouraged tonight. We feel like there's hope. Um, we, we know we're not perfect, and we know that that's not an excuse. But we acknowledge that tonight before you, God. And so collectively as a group here, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our guide, that you would be on the throne of our hearts, that you would be the one we follow. We give you control of our tongues tonight, God. Lord, for those that don't know you, they've never made that acceptance or accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Jesus. They've never... Let you die on the cross for their sins in the sense they've never acknowledged the fact that they're separated from you. They want to do that tonight. They want to get right with you. They want to be close to you. They're drawn to you tonight. And they can feel it. So just pray with me now. Jesus, you're preeminent. You're perfect. You came down here and became flesh. And you dwelt among us and you lived that perfect life. And you were always about your father's business. And part of that business was to die on the cross for my sins. I know that my sins, going against the will of God and following Satan, have separated me from you, Father. That there was nothing I could do to make myself right or to get close to you again. But you made a way through Jesus. By taking the penalty that I deserved upon my life for the sins that I committed and placed them on his life. And on the cross, he died for all of my sins in place of me. And I accept that. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, Jesus. I repent of my sins tonight, God. I turn from them. I don't want to ever do them again. We were told tonight that we can ask for forgiveness when we do, and we're we're trusting in that. But our heart tonight is to not sin. We acknowledge at least these actions as sin, and we turn from them, and we turn our face towards you. So would you help us? We want to be born again. We need new minds. We need new hearts. And only you can do that. And so we're, we're surrendering our lives to you right now. Would you give us a new mind and a new heart to see things the way you see things? To be the kind of people we were always meant to be, obedient to you, from our hearts loving other people, ministering, serving, caring for, just like you did for us, we want to do for others. Lord, would you do that in our lives tonight? Would you take control of all the things we, we control and mess up, including our tongues, but also in everything, God? We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that there's a hope for us tonight that we can go out tomorrow and be better husbands and better wives and better friends and better parents and better employees and workers and everything else that we're, every other hat we wear. We can be better tomorrow if we let your Holy Spirit lead and guide us in everything we say and do. So we do that tonight. We surrender to you, God. We thank you for this study. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Glad to pray with you.